morning, everyone. All right, just as Pastor Randy said, chapter 1 of Exodus, verses 6 through 22. Okay. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then the new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them. They will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Chipra and Puha, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill them. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives who ever feared God, oh, excuse me, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth, uh, and gave birth uh, before the midwives arrived. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then the Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw them into the Nile River, but let every girl live. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your heart, your word to us, and may your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. All right. Thank you, Paul. And uh, we've got a little intro video here for you. And so we're going to go ahead and play that as we begin our brand new teaching series entitled Moses, Prince of Egypt. Let's check it out. Well, before we get started, I do want to kind of give you guys a little bit of a peer behind the curtain this morning. Uh, actually, I came over here to the church at about 7 a.m. this morning, and uh, the gal who does some cleaning for us early in the morning, she texted me right about the time I was heading this way and said, Pastor, there's no electricity at the church. Yeah, and so, yeah, I had the same reaction, uh, Mindy. Yeah, the same one. It's like, oh. So we've been battling issues with electricity all morning long, including some of our tracks and various things like that. So we apologize for some of the, uh, uh, the differences in things that were going on and the way that we had things set up initially and the way that we practiced them is just a little different. 
This is just the way that it goes. But I went to the guy, and I think he was thinking I was going to complain. I drive up, and he goes, uh, I said, well, listen, I'm the pastor of this church right over here where your stuff is parked. I was trying to, like, make him, you know think that he needed to be paying me back somehow, you know, because he had his stuff parked in our driveway. I thought, at least get us up and running, right? So anyway, he goes, Pastor, I'm a man of faith myself. Give me 15 minutes and it'll be back on. And sure enough, it was back on in 15 minutes. And uh, so I was able to breathe again. And uh, it is good to have you here today. I know the Lord is going to be blessing. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing what I have made kind of a, a, a week pardon me, not a weekly, a yearly thing, and that is is that I go through a character of the Old Testament or New Testament and go deep on their life. And this is the first week that we're talking about Moses, the prince of Egypt. And so I'm going to be talking about a couple of different things. I've got the first four. We won't share all the different ones, but we're talking today about the origin story of a nation. Next week, a Jewish boy is the prince of Egypt. Then we're going to talk about God's will done my way, and then burning bushes and second chances and all the different things that go on in Moses' life. I promise you, if you will be a part of these lessons, you will learn Moses like you've never learned him before, but you will also come away not feeling like, wow, how could we ever measure up to this incredible saint? But instead, I think you will be encouraged and say, you know, Moses really is a guy a lot like me, uh, but he is a person who is used greatly of God. And that's what I really want you to come away with. Let's go to our next slide here. And this is the series. If you want to go a little deeper, you can see the fourth book in is from Moses. Uh, It's from Charles Swindoll. And basically, if I call him Chuck Swindoll, y'all know who I'm talking about, okay? Okay. But every one of these books goes into someone's life and goes deep, a deep dive on every one of theirs uh, that's on this list and a few more, I believe. But I've actually preached and taught David. Esther was last year. Joseph, uh, two years ago, was uh, Elijah. And then this year is Moses. And you can see some of the different ones that he's given. But if you'd like to grab this book, it's available on Audible if you're into Audible, or if you'd like to buy it from Amazon, you can buy it pretty cheap, and you can go deep, and you can uh, enjoy some of the lessons that I won't be able to share all during the the, uh, different preaching and teaching times, but it will help you. And I want to just encourage you to be a, a person who's involved each and every week that you can be, and catch up online if you can't. So check this out real quickly. Don't go any further. Let's do a little age test. Y'all know what an age test is, right? Like if you know certain things, you know that you're old, okay? This is, this is my life, okay? How many of you guys remember back in the day on Easter Sunday weekend that they would always play the Ten Commandments movie on Sunday night and you would show up? It was always ABC in my remembrance, all right? How many of y'all, congratulations, you're old. Yeah, I'm sorry. How many of you remember using the videotape <laughs> to plug into the VCR to keep your kids, and, and, and you felt like you were doing good things because it was the Prince of Egypt, it was a good Christian thing that you were doing for your kids. You all remember doing that as well? Yeah, that was my babysitter, all right? It's like, let's, let's teach them something about God and get me some relief. Here you go into the VCR. But yes, check it out. Here is the deal. This is your age test. Charleston Heston as Moses in the 1956 Ten Commandments, which is really strange, honestly, because that is exactly how I wake up on Sunday mornings. I'm like in the same outfit. It's very weird. Yeah, 
Sorry, just trying to see if y'all are awake. <laughs> and then there's Moses over here in 1998. Oh my goodness, 1998 does not feel that long ago right now, but it sure was. Okay, so how you have this mental image when I talk about, um, when I say the word Moses, when I say the name Moses, if you think about him in this way or in this way, it probably tells you what his, uh, or what age group you are. But I will tell you the reality is, is that this man that you think you know is very, very different than these pictures and these images and even the images that, to be honest, some of the Jewish culture would like to paint Moses to be. They like to paint him as the, the, the closest thing to God that they could possibly get. He is revered in ways that you would not hardly believe among the Jewish people. But the truth of the matter is, is that Moses is a man a lot like you and a lot like me. Not saying that all of you are men, but you understand. He's very, very much a human being with a lot of flaws and a lot of character issues and traits and some things that he wins over and some things that he just simply does not. So let's keep moving here and let's talk a little bit today about what was happening in the passage of scripture that Paul read just a few moments ago. If you read along with him or if you heard and were paying attention, you hear that Joseph and all his brothers and all of that generation died. So the way that the Jewish nation was born basically began with the story of Joseph. You guys remember that story. You remember his beautiful technicolor coat, as we have said, the flannel graph that you saw in Sunday school. He and all of his brothers came and moved to Egypt, and they stayed there. But eventually, as always happens, that generation dies out, and then the next generation begins to relate to the next generation. And so what is happening here is the Pharaoh that loved Joseph and that remembered Joseph as the guy who literally saved them from the famine and kept them alive as a nation as the prime minister there, the guy who had the dreams that knew that the, the, the great famine was on its way and put those things back so that they might survive, all of those positives had been forgotten. And so what is happening is now Moses is born into a brand new Egypt run by a brand new Pharaoh and the people that they used to love and appreciate are now being seen in a different light. They're not seen as a positive, but they're seen in a negative. And so Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in number and became so numerous that the land was filled with Israelites. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. And then we keep going, and then look, this Pharaoh says to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they are going to join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. You guys see the change and the shift that's happened, right? So you can see the stage is kind of set and ready for the things that used to be wonderful to not be so wonderful again, right? And so the things that used to be friendly are about to turn very adversarial. Right now, it begins with fear. Now, listen up very quickly before we leave this spot. How many of you know that in our world, what we think is under control, nailed down, and foundational, simply is not. Can I get an amen? I mean, I used to think that $2.50, maybe $3 for a gallon of gas was about as high as we would go. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I would be praising the Lord if I pulled up to $3.50 for a gallon right now, amen? 
That's what we just knew. That was how things were, and that's how things would be for a long, long time. And I mean, my goodness, think about 2020. Can you, can you believe how March started in 2020 and how different and dramatically changed it was just 20, 15, 20 days later whenever COVID came on our, on our life. I mean, everything that we think we know, everything that we think is stable, everything that we think will just never change always does. So why am I making a big deal out of this? As you see this story, this origin story of the nation, you will notice how often you're going to go, that sounds a lot like what we're dealing with today. (laughs) That sounds like human nature today. (laughs) Those people weren't really that different than us back in that time because we're still dealing with something that sounds very similar. The truth of the matter is, is that the Bible tells us that God's word is living and active and that it is powerful even to this day. It's not just simply a history book. It is the living, breathing word of God. And so when we learn lessons that happened literally two, 3,000 years ago, they still apply to us today if we'll take them and live them. So I encourage you not to listen to these stories that we talk about as a history lesson, but instead as a lesson for living for today. And as these people had things positive, And eventually, the tide turned against them. Listen, we used to have the benefit of the doubt as Christians, but we don't anymore. How many of y'all know that? How many of y'all know that this world doesn't look and view Christians the same way that it used to? There are some that still do, but there are a lot of people that you tell them that you're a Christian, they used to go, oh, okay, well, that's good. And now they're like, hmm, it's a skeptical thing. Have y'all noticed that? And so we've got to be very aware. We can't be putting our heads in the sand and think that everybody ought to love us and think that we are great people just because we've claimed the name of Christian. Now, we should be that, but we probably have a lot further to go to prove that to people in our world than we ever have before. But to me, that means that we need to Boot up, get ready to go, and take it on as a challenge that we carry the name of Christ to the people who don't know what a real Christian looks like. But when they've met us, they see, well, that one is different. I mean, that one feels a little different. They feel like the real deal, the genuine article. And so when things shift and change, it's not that God's not in control. It's not that it's terrible necessarily. It means that we have opportunities and that we need to step into them and lean into them instead of being afraid and sitting around and complaining about them the way that it should be versus the way that it is. Are you guys with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Amen? Can I get an amen? All right. So as we keep moving here, we see this something to learn. Moses comes on the scene as a Jewish baby boy when being a Jewish baby boy was supposed to be all but a death sentence. But God had people in the land, and they were faithful to him, and God was at work. How many of you have ever heard of the Nuremberg trials over in Germany? That was the way that we knew that a blanket submission to authority is not okay. These midwives that Paul just read about from Exodus chapter 1 made it very, very clear that they would not throw the baby boys into the Nile to drown them so that they would not overpopulate the area and make Pharaoh feel better because he was being outnumbered. You see what I'm saying here? In our world, we have to make a determination on what God wants us to do 
and follow that path, even if it becomes against society and even if it puts us in direct opposition to what the laws of our land say. Because eventually, I am not a prophet, hit pause, I'm not a prophet, but I'm here to tell you that if things continue to go in the way that they are going, we might not be not just dealing with the frustrations of people, but we might eventually have to make a decision on whether or not we will stand with God and stand against the laws of our nation. But we have best be ready to say, I'm here for God first, and he is the one that I obey above all things. And so we need to be aware of exactly where our feet stand at all times, and we need to be ready that even if things shift in our world, that we do what is right, even if it is against the edicts of the laws of the land. These midwives that Paul just read about, it was, it was dangerous for them to do what they were doing, but they were saving the lives of baby boys, and they were blessed by God for doing the right thing, even though it was against the law. Are you guys with me? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay, so let's keep moving here, and let's talk a little bit about this. In Genesis chapter 15, we go all the way back and we see something. And I want you to be encouraged after we read this. As the sun was setting, Abram, who would later be changed his name to Abraham, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be stranger in a country that is not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But then God continues and he says in the next slide, I promise you he does. Hold on, it's coming. Our next slide is not there. Well, then I'll tell you what it says. Who created this? Th oh, that was me. <laughs> so what he says is, is that he says, you're going to be there for 400 years. You're going to be enslaved eventually. And when that happens, just know that eventually you are going to go out and that you will leave as a nation. And when you do, you will literally take the riches of the country that has enslaved you and you will take them with you when you go. That's what's going to happen. God is predicting it in the time of Abram and it takes place in the time of Moses. He leads the exodus that you see. So while we know a little bit about what's happening and where we're going, this is all going to happen. But here's the lesson that you can learn, that even when it thing, feels like things are out of control and that God's asleep at the wheel, God is still in control. Now, I want to drill down just a tiny bit. Have you ever had that experience where you know that God's in control, but it sure don't feel like it? Can I get an amen? I mean, right? You know he's there. You know he's got it handled, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. This is what we need to be reminded when we read this scripture. If God predicted it over 400 years earlier, he is bringing it to pass, but it sure doesn't make it easy when your feet are standing in the middle of that moment. So here's what I would encourage you. If you are standing in the middle of a moment right now that feels like God has fallen asleep at the wheel, and you don't know where you are going, here's what I promise you. It's not easy to do, but you can trust that God will bring about his promises. And the very thing that God promised Abram is the very thing that does end up happening. Can I get an amen? Amen? Because the truth is, is that his plan succeeds even when our plan is not clear, you know, in our own mind. Let's keep moving here. 
This is our second something to learn. It may seem that all the issues that the fledgling nation of Israel faced were all unforeseen, problems for God with no positives that could be redeemed, but make no mistake, God was in control and God is still what? In control. Can I get you to say, even in my life, can I get you to say that? Even in my life, God is still in control. Amen. All right, let's keep moving. Charles Swindoll says, through all my years of studying biblical characters, I have not encountered a single episode of instant effectiveness for God. And in my own experience spanning more than 35 years of ministry, I cannot recall one believer who was simply lifted off the runway, soared into the spiritual stratosphere, and stayed there until death. Do you know what that means? In, in, in regular terms, that means you're going to go through something. That means you're going to have to deal with some things that you don't want to deal with. That means that God is still in control even when you're dealing with something that doesn't feel like he is. So I want to encourage you, somebody much, 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 much greater than I in ministry is telling you, I don't know of anybody who got to go through scot-free and just simply became a spiritual giant the moment that they were birthed into the spiritual family of God. Every single person has something that they've got to go through. Now, here's the difference between somebody like Moses and somebody like, we know people that just simply never really follow up on their spiritual connection and commitment. Here's the difference between those two. Even when you have that thing that happens to you, instead of washing your hands of it, instead of throwing your hands up and quitting, you stay on the path even when it's hard to do. You stay on the path and you stay faithful and say, God is still in control and I will still follow. And as Peter said a couple weeks ago, what Job, those words of Job, where he says, hey, even if I don't understand it, I will trust the Lord. His wife said, curse God and die. And he said, I will not, I will not curse God and die because he's the only one who's bringing something happening in my life that is positive. And so just know that it will be hard and there will be uncertain steps, but it is important that you continue to follow. Now, I want to talk a little bit about who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the character of Moses. So let's go to our next slide. And this is our big idea. Your world changes by real men and women who live in God's strength. There's no myth needed. In other words, in other words, whether you're a man or a woman, if you will choose to live in God's strength, you don't need to be Superman or Superwoman. You just simply need to be the one who leans into the strength of God for the strength that you do not have in and of yourself. Are you guys with me? So it's very important. And, and I want to be real clear about something. I'm not talking about this pie-in-the-sky idea of changing the world that everybody talks about at every single graduation. You're going to leave here. You're going to change the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Now, I will say that if we put enough of these things together, it will change our world on a huge level. But I don't know about you, but I've got a world of my own. How about you? Do you have a world of your own? It involves me and my kids, me and my wife, it involves me and my church, it involves me and my job, you know, which happens to be my church job, but you know what I'm saying. You know, you've got a world. And I don't know about you, but you probably want it to change for the better. Now, here's where we get to meddling a little bit. 
If your world needs changing, are you going to wait for somebody to change it or are you going to be the agent of change? You see what I'm saying? Because ultimately, if you want your world to be different, you can wait for someone else to change, which we all know how that usually goes, right? I mean, what I want done, I want done right now. What I want done, somebody else does not care nearly as much as I do. Can I get an amen? If you don't agree with that, take your car in somewhere and get it fixed. Can I get an amen now? They're not, a big, they're not in a big hurry to get yours to the front of the line, but you are. So in your life, if you want your world to change, I would encourage you, pray like it all depends on God and start rolling up your sleeves and working like it depends on you. Because ultimately, God says, I'm the one who's going to give you the strength. I'm the one who's going to give you the guidance. But you can't just sit there and not change a single thing about you and think your world will change on its own. You guys with me? Think about this. Where would the Israelites be had Moses not said, Lord, I will do what you are telling me to do. I don't want to do it. I don't feel qualified for it. I would rather someone else do it. But since none of that other stuff is being answered the way I want it to, then I will trust and I will follow and I will obey and I will let you change my little part of the world by the changes that you make starting with me. Your world changes by real men and real women, not perfect men, perfect women, living in God's strength. There's no myth that is needed. Let's say it together. On the count of three, let's say this big idea together. Ready? One, two, three. Your world changes by real men and women living in God's strength, no myth needed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I don't have to live up to a myth (laughs) because I'm just not capable. I'm not a saint, I'm not perfect. And I have a feeling I'm talking to people who aren't saints and aren't perfect. But the great news is, is that you will see that the man that we're studying, despite the thing that he's been labeled as, he's no saint and he's not perfect. He's a lot like you and a lot like me. Let's keep moving. Here's the differences between Moses the man and Moses the myth. I have three of them real quickly. The myth number one was Moses was a man who was nearly perfect, a man very different from you and me, but the reality was Moses was a man who had some of the same kinds of personal issues and challenges that we face, some that he was not always victorious over. And so very quickly, you can see Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. It's right here in this middle screen, and it says, and God says, I will be with you. And so he's telling him, you don't have to be the one who's got it all figured out. You don't even have to have the strength to get it done. I will be with you. Let's go to our next slide. Myth number two, the prince of Egypt was a man who was forever young. But the reality is that Moses' story begins at birth, but most of the amazing things that he accomplished happened when he was likely somewhere between 60 and 80 years old. Do you guys hear that? Between 60 and 80 years old. So whatever is happening in your situation, no matter what your age is, I'm here to tell you that the reality is you don't have to be young to accomplish God's work in your life. There's a different things here that you can see in Exodus, but in Exodus chapter 2, one day after Moses had grown up, so let's just say he's at least 20, 30 years old, 
And then during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And so we see that it was just, he was fully grown. And then a long period after that, before God ever called out to Moses and asked him to accomplish his will in his life. Moses was not young. Now, can we just talk for a second? When we were young, we had ideals. We had ideas and things that we wanted to see. And we heard those people tell us at our graduation that we would change the world. You guys all remember that? And then we went out and started living and our lives ended up looking a lot like our parents' lives that we were so convinced would be so different than our own. Can I get an amen? Isn't that kind of how it happens? It's how it happens. It's not bad. It's just that we have a death of idealism sometimes. But can I share something with you? I would only encourage you that if you have had a death of idealism in your life, I would encourage you to let the God who can bring all things back to life, let him do it again. And here's what I mean. I have not, <laughs> I have not ceased to want to change the world, even if it's just my own small piece of it and part of it. We become very old very quickly when we cease to have a dream for something better for us and for our family and for our world. Would you guys agree with that? If it's not designed to be determined and different, and if we don't say, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and make a difference, then we get very old very fast. And the most important thing we can do is make it through the day without an extra ache or pain or bump or bruise or bill that we haven't paid. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, we got to be very careful that that doesn't become the reality and totality of our life. And if we let our dreams die and we let God kind of fade into the background and all that he wants to do in our lives and in our world, <laughs> we've lost something a lot more than being young. We've lost hope. And that's a bad place to be. I love this about Moses, that he may have been as old as 60 or 80 years old whenever God said, I've got something that I've got you in mind to do. He gives all kinds of excuses, and God said, no, no, you're the man. You're the one that I want. Now, now I'm going to meddle again. You know how I do. There's some things that you and you alone can accomplish in your own little section of your world. You're a, an aunt, you're a grandmother, you're a mom, you're a, a father, you're a grandfather, you're an uncle, you're an older cousin or whatever it may be, but you have a heart for something different and better in the lives of someone in your world and you're the only one who seems to care about it. Do not wash your hands of the responsibility of it nor the privilege of it. You understand what I'm saying? You have an opportunity to make that change and you may be the only one. Do not find reasons to not get it done, but say, you know what? Young or old, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. Let's keep moving very quickly. Myth number three, Moses was always eager to do God's bidding, a man confident in himself and in God. That's the myth. Here's the reality. Moses was a man who often had a first inclination to make excuses, even to God himself, rather than accept the direction that, or directions that God had given him. Do you guys remember when God calls to Moses out of the burning bush? And he says, uh, 
here am I, Lord, send my brother Aaron. He's a lot better at speaking than I am. Y'all remember? I mean, can you imagine telling God, ah, it's, a, it's a really good idea that you've got, but I don't think it's really the best plan. Let me give you a better way to get this job done. I'm sure it's just Moses that does these things. When God lays something on your heart, is your first inclination to find a reason that it shouldn't be you that does it? Or is your response, is your response instead to say, you know what, Lord, it sure doesn't make sense to me, but I'll get involved and I'll let you lead and I'll let you be the strength behind it all. Very interesting to look at Moses. He's not a myth. As a matter of fact, he's a man, a very, very normal person. And we're going to see all the different things having to do with him in his life. Let's keep moving here. John chapter 1, verses 17 and verse 45. You can see, as John is writing in the New Testament, how powerfully impactful the life of Moses was. And as John is writing, he's writing about Jesus Christ. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he writes a lot of different things about Jesus. But then in verse 17, he says, For the law was given through who? Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He was putting them in, in this incredible like, way. He's saying, as much as you respect Moses, Jesus did it even better. It's almost giving him the highest compliment to say, this is who you believe did all these wonderful things, but I'm telling you that Jesus goes to even one better. And then when Jesus is walking there and talking with some of the very first disciples, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that who wrote about? Moses. That Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, everything that was going on in that time, even thousands of years later, was influenced by Moses. He was an amazing man, but he was only a man. He was not the myth that he became. So as we see this, we realize that sometimes we have put the wrong kind of connotation on Moses. We're going to learn from him because he's a lot like us. Let's go to our next slide. How many of you have ever seen this picture or seen this statue before in any way? Any of y'all? It's Moses by Michelangelo. And if you didn't know who Michelangelo was, his last name is Buonarroti, which that's perfect Italian. I just spoke perfect Italian right there. That's what approximately 1513 to 1515 is when this was, you know, kind of created. It's housed in the cathedral San Pietro in Vincoli in Rome. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to be that guy, but I've been there. I've actually seen this statue in person. It is twice life size. It is eight foot tall in per and he's seated. You guys with me? All right. So here's the deal. He's this big figure. And I don't know if Moses really looked like that, but I would take those arms. Can I get an amen? I mean, I'd take those arms like that if I could have those. Yeah, Michelangelo knew how to make a man look like a man. And there is Moses. But here's the weird thing. He has two horns on his head. That's, that's true. You literally see the statue and there are two horns on his head. And here's the reason why. 
In the Hebrew phrase, they didn't fully understand that the word radiated light and grew horns were very, very close to the similar name and similar word. And so when Michelangelo in the 1500s thought he was creating an image of Moses, he created the image and he put horns on his head instead of the radiating light that he had been in God's presence. Are you guys with me? Let's all say that's weird, right? That's weird. I mean, it is weird looking because you're looking at this incredible man, incredible statue, incredible thing, and he's got two horns on his head and it just doesn't make sense. They were confused about who Moses really was. I'm gonna show you the picture. They actually are in the San Pietro in Vincoli. This is what is the real draw in this cathedral. San Pietro in Vincoli means St. Peter in chains. Those are supposed to be St. Peter's chains in that same church. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of or seen the David statue. It literally has its own museum. Like, it's the attraction. You walk into this church, that's the attraction. And over on the right-hand side, you can barely see it in pictures, but you can see in this next picture, you can see the the chains are in that box. And then over to the right-hand side of that image, that's where the life-size statue by Moses and Michelangelo, that's where it is. That's strange, right? I mean, because if I had a statue done by Michelangelo, I promise you, you would not be able, you would walk into my house, you'd walk right into it. It'd be like, whoa, okay. And you'd have to kind of go sideways. You'd put it there to make sure everybody saw the masterpiece. Well, this is a good example of realizing that sometimes what we think we know, we don't. And what we think we've got figured out, we haven't. And the truth is, is that Moses is is a man very different than what you might think, but he is truly just that. He is a man. I want to go to our next couple of slides. Don't miss this. A deep dive on Moses' life isn't designed to impress you with his accomplishments or burden you with a guilt-giving expectation. It's to encourage you to see how God used and uses people just like us, just like you, just like me. And if you've got something in your life where you need God to intervene, I promise, keep coming. The things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks are going to be pretty clear how you can let God use you. Let's go to our next slide. This is how you apply it. Watch for God's provision and his preparation. That means his experiences that he's given you, the gifts that he's given you, and the burdens and the passions that he's given you. Because this often shows you where and how God wants to use you for his own purposes. Let's go to our next slide here. This is the end of our presentation. This is the end of today's time. But I want to ask for a blessing over you. And then I'm going to turn it over to the young people as they share what's been going on at camp. But let me just encourage you. Moses is going to teach you so much. But you will not come away enthralled with the amazing man of Moses. You will come away instead inspired by the God who took him from the backside of a desert, who took him from the middle of the courts of Egypt, who took him out of the baby basket in the Nile, who took him from the places, the standing in front of the burning bush saying, not me, God, 
not me. Taking him from the place where he had the two tablets of God, the two Ten Commandment tablets, standing there after being face to face with God, you will not come away impressed with that man. You will come away impressed with the God who took an ordinary human being and gave him all of those experiences and used him in all of those amazing ways. So now I come back to your part of your life, your part of your world. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it off. You don't have to be the myth. You can be the man or the woman who God has created you to be, but you have to depend heavily upon him. It's him, and it's never us. Heavenly Father, in this time, please, God, bless us, work within us, and use us for your purposes, and may our world be changed because we have relied heavily on the God who is a world-changing God. And as our, our lives shift and things go in new directions, may we take peace knowing that you are God, that you are in control, and that you have us in your hands at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. amen.